Welcome to Careers in Your Ears, a podcast for PhD students and research staff at King's College London. I'm Vicky Tipton, a careers consultant supporting researchers. In this episode, we're talking about what's going on in the labour markets at the moment. And to be clear, if you're catching up with this series of Careers in Your Ears, this episode was recorded in July and August 2021. We spoke to two people at King's, Professor Rebecca Oakey and Andrew Wright. We started by speaking with Rebecca about what's happening in academia. Thank you, Rebecca, so much for joining us um, on this episode of Careers in Your Ears. I'd be really grateful if you could start by introducing yourself to our listeners, please. Thank you, Vicky, and thank you very much for the invitation. So I'm Rebecca Oakey, and I'm Professor of Epigenetics, and I'm in the Department of of medical and molecular genetics, which is on the Guy's campus. And my research area is obviously looking at genetics and epigenetics. And I'm also Dean for Doctoral Studies, which is a a role across the college looking after our PGR students. And uh, allied to that, I'm also the cluster lead for the BRC's PhD programme as well. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. So we're going to talk a little bit about the academic labour market and and what we know and kind of what we're seeing at the moment. So 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 I could if I could ask you, what what do we know about the academic labour market? Um, I guess I'm thinking in particular of roles which PhDs and research staff would be interested in, you know, postdocs, first academic roles, etc. Yes, so Vicky, the, I think the, there have been a number of studies that have been conducted during the pandemic about the labour market, and those are really focusing on postdocs in science and health that, that I'm aware of. Uh, for example, in the Nature issue um, in December 2020, there was an article about uncertain prospects of postdoctoral researchers, and it talks about a fairly recent survey on uh, postdoc opportunities. There have been other commentaries which have reported that the pandemic has obviously negatively affected productivity, mostly for experimentalists, although this is probably across the board at some level, maybe with the exception of those working in the vaccine uh, preparation area. I I suspect they were quite busy. (laughs) So at King's, um, in terms of early career researchers beyond the PhD uh, stage, there was um, a freeze on recruitment at the faculty level for ECRs, early career researchers, in 2020, which was pretty typical across academic institutions, I think in the UK and the USA. Um, More recently, there seems, at least anecdotally, to be a pretty good pipeline of adverts coming along, especially for postdoc communities, both within the King's community, which you can see on some of the Yammer feeds that I uh, look through, and through London-based university newsletters, on Twitter, find a postdoc, There's currently quite a bit of activity around opportunities in terms of um, scientific disciplines, but it's really hard to drill down where the gaps are. So if there are gaps in certain sort of particular areas, I haven't really noticed those. I think perhaps for the academic roles, recruitment is is getting going again. A quick scan of the uni uh, jobs um, um, publication when I looked for principal, senior lecturers, associate professor jobs, returned a decent number of adverts from across the world and including some in the UK, actually. I think for arts and humanities, academic jobs are trickling through. There is a lower pace, perhaps before Mm. the pandemic. Um, And there's probably more competition internationally as more goes on in English now. But for highly developed literary and analytical 
skill bases, arts and humanities, employability, I think is looking good. Okay, thank you. That's really interesting to have your perspective on that and the information that you've got. Um, and I wonder, we're, sort of, we're thinking about the pandemics there, aren't we, and, and the sort of impact that's had. And I wonder what, you, what else you think is impacting recruitment to academia um, at the moment and what impact it might have in the future. Well, sort of on the positive side, in March, the cha Chancellor announced um, uh, a record increase in public investment in, in research and development, committing to reaching something like 22 billion a year by 24-25. So if research and innovation budgets are set to rise going forward at some level, or as predicted, we're going to have to train a lot of skilled researchers mm -hmm. and attract overseas researchers back to the UK or to the UK to meet this demand. So research in, and innovation in the UK takes place, as you know, in universities and in research institutes, um, as well as in industry. But in the academic um, side, both of these have crucial roles in delivering um, the core research in the UK. And there are also important innovation pipelines coming through incubators, which are driven by venture capital investment, spin out companies, and of course, through the industries and big pharma, as I mentioned, in terms of the non-science disciplines, if universities are to be maintained as educational flagships for the UK, which is what we would hope and continue to attract overseas students, I think the pipeline of future academics needs to be maintained. But the question of how many individuals already weighed down with you know, undergraduate loans will want to take on PGR research is not quite yet understood or projected in a way that I think is credible. Okay, all right, that, that's a really interesting glimpse to a potential future then um, for, for research. Um, but I guess um, at the moment, what advice might you have for PhDs or postdocs who are navigating their way into an academic labour market? Are there any common myths that you can dispel, general advice? So Vicky, that's, that's obviously, very um, different for all the different areas and you know we always have sort of special um, sort of pathways and things that apply to particular areas but I think in science and health you must love the research area you plan to dive into from PhD to postdoc as the topic is likely to be the one that takes you forward into the next phase of your research career. For our clinical PhDs, the pathway is slightly different. The decision to take a clinical academic pathway will be influenced by the PGR experience, of course, but also by the specialistology, for example, for the PGRs, you know, has already sort of brought into that area. Mm. For all PGR students across all disciplines, just don't wait to consider what's next. Certainly don't wait until you're in the last year of your PhD or in the last six to 12 months of your contract. You need to start the ball rolling now, even in the smallest of ways. You must use all the researches of the career consultants that we have, book a one-to-one a -one appoint, <laughs> one -one appointment with them, go to the workshop, workshops that are on offer, go to the events, and start building your network. So you might have a very specialist area network, but there's also just a general network of learning how to use networks to help you to navigate this really difficult um, next step. Talk to your supervisor or your PI about your options in re research and academia and say to yourself, what do you know? Who do you know in your field? What roles do they have? What are the techniques and areas which are better funded at the moment? That is actually a relevant thing that you need to think about. It's, 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 it's relevant for lots of reasons, but you get a better chance of 
getting funding if there's more funding focused in an area and it's actually quite similar to an area that you've been thinking about which may be a little bit more niche it's just really important to stay broad-minded around the topics that you choose so in other words use your networks to keep up to date on what's happening consider the, your assumptions and what you're willing to compromise on are you willing to move are you aware of what a lecturer role involves do you just want to teach? Do you just want to do research? What else on your CV demonstrates your experience and skills? Get it all out there. Thank you so much. That's a great set of um, advice for people to listen to. And, and very finally, um, if I could just ask you about your opinion on the value of a PhD. We know that about half of PhDs will leave academia after obtaining the PhD itself and that that pattern tends to continue along the career ladder. What do researchers take with them in your view, Rebecca? Well, I think the value of a PhD is personal and that's at some level, it's quite a lot of the reason for doing a PhD. The knowledge quest and the sense of achievement that comes with fulfilling your own goals, your own expectations and understand how that feels and empowers you. It's your degree and what you do with it is your decision. I don't really think of PhDs as leaving anything when they choose not to take an academic route. I think that's a, a not a statement that I'm really comfortable mm -hmm. with. The PhD is in some ways a means to an end. So it opens specific academic doors and it provides the key to following academic pathways and careers, of course. But it's so much more. Beyond the personal achievement, understanding how to undertake and plan research, handle data, as well as plan, write, write extended projects, write big manuscripts and papers. They're all incredibly useful skills for progressing in lots of different careers and in life. Being able to think in this space can make a job more interesting and rewarding in terms of the resilience learned as well as the confidence, self-reliance, and depending on the scholarly area, the teamwork and collaboration, these are all career enhancing and really life skill enhancing. Um, things that you learn and you take with you going forward for the rest of your life. Thank you so much, Rebecca. It's been great to have with you, uh, you with us on the, the podcast today. Thanks for all um, the, the information and the thoughts and advice you've shared with us. Vicky, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. So let's let's stick with these, this theme of um, researchers moving into other fields besides um, academia. And to do that, I'm delighted to welcome back Andrew Wright, who is head of our employer engagement team in the King's Careers and Employability team. Um, welcome back to Careers in Your Ears, Andrew. Thank you, Vicky. It's great to be back. So I would essentially like to ask you about those, those fields, those sectors that researchers typically move on to so I'm thinking of not exclusively but policy the kind of things like policy consultancy pharmaceuticals life sciences data science etc I wouldn't I wonder what we know at the moment about those those labor markets and, and what you might have to update listeners on about those things absolutely um one of the joys of working at King's is that we find our researchers go into so many different areas. So almost the kind of the world is your oyster when it comes to looking at these different sectors. So um, let me take some of those ideas that you've just you've just touched upon and, and maybe what we know about about those sectors in particular. 
I think the clearest thing to say, and we're recording this in, in sort of August 2021, so we're still very much in the thick of, uh, certainly in the UK concept, coming out of the main phase of, of the kind of COVID pandemic, is that what we're finding is a lot of sectors are both adjusting to this new way of working that many parts of the global economy are expecting to find, and that's trickling down to how they're doing their graduate recruitment talent and their lateral recruitment talent as well. But they're also now finding themselves really having to grapple with the realities of other aspects of the last few months that are actually having more of an impact on the recruitment market than COVID at this stage. So for a little while, they've almost been protected by things like uh, Brexit, which we sort of forget about now. It happened so many months ago at the end of last year. It's only now that actually a lot of these sectors are finding the impact of that and how they're recruiting and how they're seeking talent. Um, so if you look at, for example, finance, um, we're still finding that a lot of the banks are struggling now, not just with COVID, um, but actually with Brexit, taking the reins on how they're looking for, for that talent, where they're moving still roles across to other parts of Europe. In life and health sciences, um, COVID is still the, the biggest player in that. And we've seen huge numbers of uh, researcher roles still being invested by lots of big pharmaceutical companies, but also by lots of startups um, who are now really taking the range with regards to research and development type roles that a lot of our researchers are involved in. And things like policy, um, actually we found a bit of a retraction in the market currently. Where a lot of roles where we'd often see our researchers and PhD candidates go into really interesting policy related roles, either in government or in sort of think tanks and policy organisations supporting government. Actually, that's reduced a little bit in the last few months because there isn't such that frantic kind of capacity to, to get Brexit done. Um, and a lot of that has gone into, uh, yes, the Department of Health and Social Care and the Department of Transportation and the Department of um, you know, sort of Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office. You've been dealing with the fallout from Brexit. But in other roles, actually, there has been a slight reduction in the last few months. We're expecting that very much to, to take flight again as we move through this next phase of the pandemic. Um, so that's just what's happening in a few areas. I think there are other trends that we picked up on a little bit more last time as well that we're still very much seeing. The likes of um, data analysis, data interpretation, whether that is in its own industry, in, in technology, or whether that's in policy-related roles, health and life sciences, um, in finance, or even in the creative industries which are still very much sort of, you know, finding their feet once more, but where there is absolute progression and expansion in the creative industries is in things like the analysis of data, in taking all the interpretation of things we've learned through the pandemic and analyzing it and researching it and coming up with amazing sort of qualitative and quantitative research analysis on what the future of the creative industries might be. And I think that's gonna be a really interesting opportunity for a lot of researchers to start thinking about if they're interested in that side of things. So there is lots changing. It's a really difficult picture actually at the moment to pinpoint particular scenarios of what's happening. Um, but I think I will say as one sort of passing shot on, on this initial question is most employers in the market are making very late decisions on their hiring at the minute. 
And that's applicable um, as, as relatively new entry level talent, as a new undergraduate graduate entering the market, even as it is to a researcher who might have that extra set of experience and maybe moving in at a more senior level. Um, they are waiting and looking and opening applications and seeing what happens in the early few weeks before making decisions on, for example, how they will engage with the universities how they will engage with research councils perhaps to look at kind of collaborations and, and partnerships where there's particular roles that can benefit from that and really gauging what the the strength of the open market is before making decisions on really robustly going out and recruiting so you will find whether it's for any of those sectors we've just looked at or for any of the kind of roles within those sectors the whole market itself is is going to trickle this year as opposed to being one big boom in the autumn which is what we usually tell all students to say you need to be on your game in kind of october november that's where a lot of these sectors are going to recruit whether it is for the for, as I say, for the entry roles or, or for some of the more researchers talent posts this year we're fully expecting that to be sort of a six month long window that is going to sustain itself through the spring of 2022 um so i think that would be my my bit of advice and, and as that happens we ourselves here at kings will be learning more and more about how some of those markets are adapting and adjusting as well really interesting thank you andrew i think what i'm taking from that is that that, that there's a lot going on and a lot of things that are kind of influencing and creating change in in recruitment spaces and so that perhaps you know we need to be mindful as people who are um, applying for jobs or people advising people going for jobs that, that there's things going on behind the scenes for recruiters and so it's just worth bearing that in mind and that a little bit of patience might pay off. I think that's absolutely true um, although there are some positives I think to this I think the fact that the market is looking like it's going to be uh, you know, sustaining itself over a longer period, I see as a real positive for a lot of our mm. students right now. You know, it, it means that there, there isn't so much of that pressure in those mm. early few weeks as you return back from doing your research or you return back or you commence your PhD, you know, frantically trying to find something, um, you know, to keep your interests outside of academia whilst you're delivering your, your sort of PhD as well. We're also seeing a reduction in some sense in competition which is a weird thing to say, but actually one of the other benefits to the last sort of few months has been watching a lot of employers work more closely together because no single employer can find the right the way through this. They're all dealing with these challenges. And one of the ways or one of the possible solutions to that is to work more closely together. So we're finding examples of recruiters who are either deliberately partnering on recruitment campaigns, are taking part in activities and events, either with universities or, or in the kind of open market, in a way where they would never have sat on a panel or never have done a joint recruitment campaign with those other organisations or sectors in the same way. And we're also finding, you know, very in a very small capacity, but examples of recruiters who are sharing candidates with their competitors which sounds like a very strange thing to do, but where, for example, a role hasn't come through for that organisation at that particular time, but where they recognise the talents there, they're actually talking to competitors or encouraging applications or, or people applying to go and talk to someone else in their industry or, or share a resume or a CV or an application with them, which would never have happened mm. in these times before COVID. And I'm not saying that's a widespread thing, 
but you can see the early indications of how the market more generally is is very much going through this shift right now. And, and mm -hmm. I think the other thing I just mentioned um, is the changes to immigration visas as well, which employers are still having to get to grips with. As I say, we talked about the outcome of Brexit. One of the outcomes of Brexit is a massively changed visa landscape for recruiters. And it's only now they're really starting to get their heads around that, particularly mm -hmm. for PhDs, where the new graduate route provides you with three years after you've completed your PhD to remain in the UK and apply for jobs. And that will very much change the landscape of, of how employers are looking for talent over the next few years as well. It is too early to say precisely how that's going to fall out. But that's another thing we're watching very closely. Great. That's really, really interesting. And I think it's worth noting that um, our student services teams will have information on, on those visa routes. So if you're an international PhD student um, looking for, for jobs, then do keep an eye on that information on our King's pages. I wonder if there's anything else to say about future trends. Andrew, you've mentioned a couple of things that are happening. So visas and also these very small examples, you know, of people collaborating across recruitment teams. And I just wonder if there's anything else that you think might might happen in the future or trends or the trends that kind of might be emerging in the labour markets. Sure. I mean, there there are definitely a couple of others probably worth worth touching upon. Um, so immigration and, and the, the reality of, of things like Brexit, absolutely. Um, changes in in how they're collaborating and how the market itself is is looking at across the year, but also this new world of work, this hybrid way of working that many of us are adapting to, isn't at least in the initial phases as we exit the pandemic, um, going to you know going to change. We're in this hybrid way of working now, and that's impacting the recruitment market too, and certainly the ways in which recruiters are looking for global talent. So both positively, it means that if you are a researcher or a PhD candidate, you can be looking to apply for jobs far beyond the geographical boundaries that you may have been previously looking for. Um, you know, I, I think one of your other guests has probably covered some of the academic side of this with universities, but actually with, with corporate businesses, you know, you can be doing work in another country based in the UK now. You can be doing work in a whole different part of the UK based in London or in Scotland or in Wales because of this hybrid way of working. So that increases the opportunities. It also means that there's the potential for slightly different types of roles to come to the fore. But conversely, of course, it also leaves open the door to a greater global competition of talent. Um, mm. And that's again something that we really know very little about at the present time. But I think in, in when you're planning your career search, I would encourage people to be thinking along those lines of, of how this candidate pool has shifted. This is not just going to be a candidate pool of people in your city or in your county or in your region. It's going to be a global candidate pool now. And so your ability to demonstrate the different skill sets and attributes and knowledge and indeed the experience that you gain through your studies at King's or through your studies elsewhere up against candidates from around the world is, is going to be a very different picture from now on. As I say, it's really difficult to pinpoint what that really means, which is the struggle, because I'm sure most people listening will go, well, how do I counter that? What do I do about that? 
Um, and I know that colleagues across across our team and more widely at Kings will be working to support candidates and understanding that, but it does mean the market shifted. Um, so that's really the other thing I think to be bearing in mind in these future trends in labour markets generally. Great, thank you very much for that insight, Andrew. And and I suppose because mm, sort of slightly staying with that for for those researchers, those PhDs who are thinking of leaving academia, um, what what advice might you have for them whilst they're looking for industries beyond academia? What what do you think would help with that transition? Um, good question. One of the benefits of the last few months has been um, the advent of a lot more remote work-based learning opportunities that opens the doors for, for students to get involved in far more um, experiences than they might otherwise have been able to either through formal face-to-face -face work or because of the, the huge um, sort of restrictions on their, their time while they're studying for a PhD or while they're doing their research, which is incredibly time intensive. Um, so there's a lot more avenues for students to be gaining remote virtual work experience or through things like work simulation. Um, so at King's, for example, one of the things we've launched in the last few months is something called Insights. And we've got a particular stream in our Insights programme for PhD candidates who are interested in gaining experience or exposure to the realities of life outside of academia. Now, this is a sort of four week remote or online uh, series of, of projects. You'll be grouped together with other PhD candidates who you might not have encountered before. So you get that opportunity to build your network in a different way, to look at different research skills or, or kind of attributes, but to work on a live project with an employer um, and gain some recognition for that. So. Aspects like that and also through um, lots of other work we do with, with partners like the Forage and other things gain opportunities, I think, for researchers to, to leverage their experience outside of academia in a very different way. Um, and I think alongside that, um, being more conscious of some of those those bigger skills that employers tell us they are they are looking for and some of those really align themselves with the skills we know that researchers have. So there was some research that came out in the middle of the pandemic from the Institute of Student Employers, who do lots of research every year on the types of skills that employers see as lacking in their new recruits. Um, and fascinatingly, the things that came out on top were areas like data analysis, quantitative research, negotiation. Now, they are all things that strike me as particular skills that are really prevalent in researcher talent, perhaps more so than we struggled to, to really sustain in, in our undergraduate or our master's student population. So being conscious of those and very deliberately making comments or um, crafting your applications with those sorts of things in mind is going to make you stand out in this new market. Um, and as I said, that those skill sets are very much changing. You know, we've seen historically employers see things like presentation and time management and things like that as lacking. We're now seeing very much more nuanced skills that, as I say, relate themselves more to uh, researcher talent, I think, um, that are coming in as, as what's lacking. If you can demonstrate that, that's what's going to stand you in, in good stead. And, and particularly things like data analysis as well, the ability to process large quantities of information mm. and very clearly um, sort of pricey information, present it in, in more digestible formats 
or work out what's the most salient point in, in all the sort of data and research we're looking at now, that's going to stand out to employers today. Fab, that's a really great way, I think, to leave this, this podcast. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us um, today. And I will, to those of you listening, I will make sure I put links in the show notes uh, to our student services um, information about visas. And I will also um, link where I can the um, Institute for Student Employers survey. Uh, and thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you very much, Vicky. Great to be with you again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Careers in Your Ears. If you have any ideas about people you would like us to interview on this podcast or questions you would like to hear us ask about other people that we interview, then please don't hesitate to be in touch with us. You can find us on Twitter at KCL Do One Thing. That's using the numerical one. KCL Do One Thing. Thank you for listening.